0: Welcome to Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is, and this is episode 145, 145, and I wanted to kind of get this out, um, it's only been a few days since I did the last one, but I wanted to get this out before the 4th of July weekend, so if you're super bored, need to catch up on your sleep, you can tune into the podcast and we'll put you to sleep for you, or waste, waste some of your time, help you help you while away the hours. So remember, if you have any questions or comments for us, you can always leave them in the comments section of Podbean or you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com. That's kbmakel at aol.com. And uh, I will endeavor to answer it in the next podcast. And I tell you what, I will usually send somebody... An answer back, at least a short, short answer, letting them know I got the question and giving them some initial thoughts. But anyway, that's how we do the question and answers part, which is actually the the my most favorite part of the podcast. I usually start out with some news items that are relevant to the shooting community, then kind of go into some more gun specific stuff, and then go into questions and answers, which I really enjoy because uh, hey, you never know what's going to turn up. So. That is how that is done. Okay, let's get to our first order of business. And, you know, after the riots of 2020, you know, it seemed like most people have stuck their head in the sand and Antifa had gone away. And it was just kind of like a bad dream. And we all sort of wake up like, you know, whatever fairy tale character wakes up from the bad dream and and they're gone. Well, it looks like they're back and I don't think they ever actually went away. Um you know, this Roe v. Wade thing. You saw it in Phoenix, you saw it in LA and in a few place a few other places. Um yeah, what was it the Vermont State Capitol? I mean, Vermont State Capitol, really? But these antifa thugs are out there again. And uh you know, what are they doing? They're throwing bricks at the police, they're they're doing all that stuff. I think they're also probably behind some of the the presence at these poor Supreme Court justices houses, which is totally illegal. And I don't know why Biden is allowed to get away with this, but apparently he is. And apparently these people are out there crowding around. And um, I think they're hoping for an assassination. I mean, I think they, they're they hoping for that. That way Biden could appoint a replacement and avenge the turning of the seat that was held by Ruth Bader Ginsburg some there's some nonsense there's some psycho nonsense like that going to happen but the the Antifa is the Democratic Party thug street army and they are thugs and make no mistake make absolutely no mistake they are bad hats And they're not a bunch of flower children you're going to scare away with your AR-15. You know, it isn't going to look like that couple in St. Louis. (laughs) The dude dude has the AR-15 and, you know, everybody else is kind of making sure they didn't walk on his sidewalk or his grass. Um, You know, it's not going to be that. Uh, These people, you know, they're arsonists. They're going to smash up a few neighborhoods. And I think their strategy is... They know they can tear up a downtown and it's no big deal they know they can tear up a poor section of town and really nobody cares I think they're coming after the suburbs and the reason I say that is it creates a lot of tactical and logistics problems for them Um, they have they're on unfamiliar territory by and large unfriendly territory they're away from their bases of supply and you know kind of command and control so they're away from all that but they also know how vulnerable it is and face it these supreme court justices aren't living you know Clarence Thomas might have might have had a poor upbringing but he's living in the uh the fat side of town now i mean he's he's living on the good side of the tracks there's no two ways about that and if these people can get into there they can certainly get into where you and i are And um, it's going to be a super ugly, big problem. And uh, so, you know, be advised that the street thug army is out there and, and nobody is going after them. I mean, nobody's going after them. The feds aren't going after them. They're untouchable at this point. And I mean, face it, they start a riot. How many people have gone on trial for what they did in Kenosha? Zero. Did that guy get who uh, threatened Rittenhouse with a uh, um, the pistol, the, the last duty shot? Did that guy ever get charged? You know? No. They, they, they're not touching these people. It's partly liberal prosecutors. It's partly all this. All these problems... Are basically building up and when you have people that won't I mean face it if you or I spit on the sidewalk or if we're anywhere near the Capitol on January 6th they seem to be sending FBI SWAT teams after them if um, if you're there tearing up a a federal courthouse like the Marco Hatfield courthouse in Portland, it gets destroyed or they lay siege to it. Nobody does anything. They're not rolling these guys up. So they're operating with impunity. You know, they have weaknesses. They're poorly... for what they're trying to do, they are comparatively poorly armed and they're comparatively poorly organized. But they do have a very dedicated, radicalized group of people. And face it, they're one level above suicide bombers when it comes to radicalization. I mean, um, you, you, can, you can play the clips for yourself, but when you see these people screaming, screaming, and they haven't, and the worst part is they haven't even understood the Roe v. Wade decision. They don't understand. They think that all reproductive choices are gone, and and they're not. And, you know, I'm not going to go into it all here, but without obviously reading the decision or reading at least a cogent summary of the decision, they're they're going crazy. And they're going crazy with slogans. And the disturbing part about it is when you see these... You know, yes. You see these bloated people who are eating way too many Twinkies and potato chips. You see these bloated, you know, <laughs> fast food eating hogs that are out there. Look like a look look just like just like a fog like a hog farmer has just uh, you know turned the pens loose. But then you see a lot of people who are younger, obviously, in their late teens, girls in their late teens, who obviously have not done any research themselves and they're believing all this sloganeering and and they're becoming very very radical and uh, you know it's unbelievable there will be violence over this I mean I don't know when I don't know where and if it's not this something's gonna happen this summer and there's gonna be widespread violence right now you, you know maybe maybe it's just me but I feel like the country is a powder keg. I mean, it's a real powder keg. And we're, we're not talking about the 2020 riots. We could be talking about something a whole lot worse. Now, I hope this does not happen. I do not welcome this. I'm not one of these cheerleaders or, or one of the people in, in, you know, whatever community who's saying, ah, see, we told you so for years. It's all coming down, man. No, I'm not that guy. I'm the guy who's saying that even, you know, even in everyday life, there's just a lot of tension now. And um, here's one example. Have have you noticed that road rage has just gone exponentially higher? I mean, it is unbelievable um, how road rage is, is really taking off. I just and, and I don't live in a very contentious place, but yeah, they just a woman, you know, somebody cut her off. So she kind of honks her horn like, hey, yo, I'm here, you know, understand, you know, because you use your horn sometimes to warn other drivers. How many times have you been, you know, in the fast lane kind of passing a car and they just start swerving out because they're they want to pass somebody in front of them and they haven't looked to see if there's anybody in the outside lane. I mean, that happens that happens routinely and you kind of beep your horn to warn them well a lady did that and got shot for the favor you know somebody some guy gets angry and shoots her over that We have we've even had women get angry um, and sometimes sometimes they can get the angriest. Um, you know road rage is out of control and that's part of just an indicator that our general society, is looking like a powder keg you know how do you protect yourself in something like this and, and I can tell you that as good as the Supreme Court decision was and all of that uh, don't think that's gonna open any gates or doors hey if you're in the restricted states, first of all if you're living in a blue state you're gonna get what you're gonna get um, get the best weapon you can and and hope hope for the best but You're in real trouble if you're in a blue state. But for the people in red states, not really much is going to change. But i tell you one thing that does, that is, that is slowly changing. And you're going to start noticing the next big thing is going to be businesses that are posting that concealed carry permits are not welcome in their store. You know, they're going to prohibit weapons in their stores. And this last weekend, um, I went to a concert. It was a big band concert, okay? Music from the 40s. And I thought about putting a small pistol on my person. You know, just you're going downtown. I, like I said, everything is. I'm I'm not going to put on a I'm not going to put on a hog leg. I'm not going to carry a you know a 1911 in a shoulder holster. Nothing like that. But i have some smaller guns and i thought well maybe i'll just take one of these just in case well i'm glad i didn't because before i made that decision i looked on their website and it was buried you had to find it but they prohibit weapons there so i said well out of respect for that i'm not going to carry a weapon there and lo and behold when we went through and presented our tickets they had a dude there with a wand and he was wanding everybody and it wasn't one of the it's not like they were looking for a flask they were looking for weapons that's what they were looking for now the funniest part of this is the absolute funniest part is that this was a big band concert you know music from the 40s world war ii era it was absolutely marvelous by the way it was absolutely marvelous but the demographic there I was one of the younger people they actually had I saw at least one world war ii veteran there somebody nearly 100 years old or maybe he was 100 years old um I saw a lot of people who were in their obviously late 70s their 80s and maybe a few in their 90s who were kind of of there and there were there were some younger people there too. I didn't really see anybody under the age of 40. And to to tell you that this is in a city, and a lot of people will get angry with this, but there was no real minority representation in the audience. They, they just didn't buy tickets to come there, you know. So this was an almost exclusively white, exclusively over the age of 40 and the vast majority were over the age of probably 70. Okay. So, and they're out there wanting people like, you know, like the Dillinger gang is going to come in there or something. I don't know. Now, if it had been a hip hop concert, I could understand. Well, maybe that's a younger, more volatile audience. So you do that. But anyway, uh, other businesses are going to start doing the same thing. Um, I'm surprised movie theaters haven't started it. They if another incident happens in a movie theater, they probably will. I mean, uh, I'll tell you about the movie I saw, too. That was really good. But how do you protect yourself? You know, you got to be careful where you go and you have to make a value judgment. I had to make a value judgment whether or not I wanted to go see this. Now, the beautiful part was it was at 2.30 in the afternoon, okay? So it's not like, you know, it's, it's kind of like the our big cities now are like the Omega Man, you know, the old Charlton Heston movie where, hey, as soon as it hits dark, all the goblins and, and mutants come out. Well, this is the same thing, you know, two 2.30 to 4.30 in the afternoon um, is pretty pretty uh, good time there's very little crime happening then so you know I felt pretty safe going there but um, you know I had to make a value judgment and you're going to have to make value judgments in a lot of places and you know the old adage is well if you're really doing well carrying concealed um, nobody should know you have a weapon therefore if they have the sign on the door it's not a problem but if they got a metal wand uh, uh, one of those metallic wand things in there um, then it's going to be a problem and, and you're going to have to make a choice whether you go in and do whatever business you need to transact or not. You know, it's just, that's, that's kind of where all this is going to be going. I guarantee that will be part of the backlash. You know, how do you protect yourself in the home? Well, you know, that's all pretty, there's scads of books and podcasts and everything that, that talk about that. How do you protect yourself in a car? Um, you know, I would say that um, you, you might want to just check on local laws. And I would not, what you should never do is let anyone know you're armed. So if some guy is tailgating you and flipping you off, don't flash the gun at him. Don't brandish the firearm. Just that's your weapon of last resort. Don't let anybody know you have it. And we just talked about out and about um, where, where you go your vulnerability increases in places where you're not allowed to protect yourself. So that's it. But on a much better note, um, I'm not a huge Tom Cruise fan. I mean, his movies, I, I watch them usually, you know, the free included with prime, you know, um, he may be, they call him the last of the kind of the big movie stars. And that may be, may be true. That may be very true and he can put out a blockbuster movie but saw top gun maverick and i was actually pleasantly very surprised now of course you know the plot is unrealistic and and it has a couple little soap opera elements to it with you know a romance and everything you know all that stuff that you expect to see in a movie but what i liked about it was there wasn't the lesbian love triangle there wasn't the you know soliloquy on you know I'm descended from slaves and I've faced systemic racism all my life and now I have a chip on my shoulder. It wasn't any of that. It was it looked just like the US military, people from various backgrounds, and they were just doing their job being themselves. That's what America should be. And for the most part that's what America really is. It's not what the media or the liberals want you to think it is. But it actually is more that way than you think, and it was nice to see a movie that recognized that. And uh, you know, it's it's well worth well worth seeing. I think, uh, you know, you don't need every piece of entertainment does not need to be a morality play, or it does not need to be a revisionist history lesson, or or some of this other freaking nonsense that comes out of there. So that's it. Oh, by the way, I do have a I do have an alibi. I just missed, I missed a bullet earlier on the, uh, the deal, you know, talk about protecting yourself. There's one thing that has been, you know, strange these last couple days since this Roe v. Wade thing came out. And that is like, um, yeah, there was a, a a trans person that drove their car through a, you know, feel good parade was, you know, some, some deal like that. And, and I'm looking and I'm hoping that, you know, of course, the the whole thing was most trans people are exceptionally liberal because they don't feel they're getting a good deal from, you know, the establishment or whatever. But, and the parade was kind of a uh, kind of a pre-4th of July patriotic parade. So obviously there's a political bent in this attack. And, and here we are, you know, we're, we're now having to endure um, militant trannies, you know, the attack of the killer trannies, because somehow abortion rights are important to them. People who I would have thought they are on a completely different track, and abortion wouldn't matter to them, but now it seems that that's, that's it. But you've the thing to know is are, are do you have to worry that a transsexual is going to run you over out of meanness or spite no but it's another indicator of the powder keg and it's another indicator of how polarized and radicalized some people are that um, you know they're they're out there doing all this violence and good grief everybody has to be more careful now you know when you go out you can't just stuff an ice cream cone in your face and think the world is you know that it's a small world after all and everybody loves each other you know literally i hate to say this but your head needs to be as we used to say in the military your head needs to be on a swivel and you need to be looking for threats i mean pick up just screws the internet all the the internet sites and you see these random acts of absolute violence. you know that there's a 67 year old woman who's thrown down the stairs of a subway and down two flights of stairs by somebody she doesn't even know. somebody who doesn't know her. and it, it, it appears to be some race-based attack where this this older white lady is just walking down the, the deal you know at the subway station. And this guy comes up and throws her down two flights of stairs, messes her up. I mean, you know, as we get older, believe me, I can tell you this, we don't take punishment so well. Um, There was another woman who was, uh, I think she was 70. She was at a bus stop, and two random guys just came up there and just beat her half to death. Just for standing at a bus stop. Um this kind of violence has to stop this kind of violence is another indicator that we have a powder keg on our hands so you know your head has to be on a swivel you have to think twice and you know gasoline is getting so expensive now people are being forced into the sewer of public transportation in a lot of cities the sewer where there's little or no policing you can't have a weapon to protect yourself and these look at these big city mayors all oh, they're they're worried more about this false argument of abortion rights than they are about protecting their own citizens if their butts were getting beat i think they would have a whole different different idea but you know they have the police protecting them such as that is these days but they have protection almost all the rest of us don't we've got to be extra extra careful but getting back Top Gun Maverick awesome film should be shown to every child in the United States everyone from, from the age of say 7 to 18 should have to watch it in school but that's just me uh, MO is back um you know you can find ammo just about anywhere now Uh, you don't find the variety of calibers so i mean it's still a lot of nine millimeter a lot of five five six but at least that's out there so you know it's it is what it is it's expensive though the prices have been coming down somewhat it's certainly about half not quite half but what was it what was it five five six and well a thousand round case of either nine mil or five five six at the height of the the latest madness I think that was almost 700 bucks so now it's like down to three yeah about 350 so it's it's probably come down half in price which is a good thing now of course there's chicanery going on we lost all the Russian ammunition and that was due to just Biden but face it the invasion of Ukraine was gonna cut all that off anyway so you know we have that then we also have Lake City ammo plant it's only a matter of time before that gets cut off by the government because what they do is the government doesn't run a lot of things they they subcontracted out to a company abc ammo company whatever that is it used to be tdk now i think it's federal I, i i have no idea who's doing it now but what they do is they they have this plant they they set it all up and they ask the army how much how much ammo do you want they crank that out And then as they have surplus capacity, they crank out some of their own and sell it. And they sometimes call it overruns. They sometimes package it differently and all that. It's only a matter of time before that ceases. And when that happens, you know, some of the 556 availability will go away. What the manufacturers have to understand and do is that we cannot rely on imports because they can be cut off by an executive order by some deadhead like Biden he can cut that off um they can just not issue the permits that's what they were doing with the Russian stuff they just stopped issuing permits to import the stuff that can happen from any country um the the federal get away from the federal government because if you're making civilian ammo at quote their plant even though it's your contract if they cut that off that's gonna cut into the supply so we have to do the same thing we did with rifles you know we produce basically our own HK style rifles because we couldn't import them anymore we produce our own AK style rifles because we can't import them anymore Uh, we produce a lot of things that normally we would have liked to have imported but the fact of the matter is we can't import them so we're just going to make them ourselves you know, FNFAL, another example of a rifle that used to be exclusively imported from Belgium and a few from South America. The, those dried up, and so we have to make them here. So the wait it goes. Same thing's going to have to happen with ammo. And that might dampen the appetite for them introducing a scad of new cartridges every year like they've been doing. Uh, one thing that happened that was kind of scary. Um, My house is near some railroad tracks, and uh, it was about a week ago. All kinds of emergency vehicles go streaking past the house, you know, Um, police cars and fire trucks and, and a couple of ambulances and all this stuff goes screeching past, you know. It still looked like, it looked like the, uh, the movie Die Hard, you know, terrorists have taken over the Nakatomi Plaza. You know, it, it looked just like that. So these, these guys all go whizzing past. Usually you can attribute that to boredom, that everybody hears the call and there's nothing going on anywhere, so they just race to the, to the scene of the action. But actually, it turns out there were like 10 or 12 rail cars that had derailed. And these were not, there was another derailment um, up in Missouri. This is not that one I'm speaking about. This was a freight. And they were um, tanker cars carrying something. And I don't know what they were carrying, but nothing leaked, fortunately. But shoot, that could have been something really nasty. And you never know. You don't know. know. Trains go up and down those tracks all the time. And some of them are those, you know, kind of round you know cars that are obviously hauling something liquid and you don't know is that a corrosive is that a gas is that some kind of a chemical that if it gets loose you know would would force you to evacuate you don't know so you know that's just another another thing and I you don't know if you don't know what it is you won't know what protective gear to use there are certain things that displace oxygen so obviously a protective mask i.e gas mask isn't going to do you any good because that's predicated upon filtering out the bad stuff from the oxygen you you are taking in but if there's no oxygen yeah you're done So you need one of those that look like a kind of a scuba thing that that, uh, firemen and, and some of these other first responders wear But I don't know what was in those cars but unfortunately, nothing leaked and nothing came of it. But it just goes to show you any given day any given time something like that can happen. So we have now covered the news and kind of gun related stuff. So we can now start my favorite part of the podcast which is questions and answers. And the first one I have is interesting, and I've I've kind of talked. First of all, almost all the questions I've got, we've talked about in one fashion or another before. But you know, face it, nobody's going to go back to podcast thirty eight and, and listen to any of this. So, you know, if you're a longtime listener, and some of these seem to be redundant, well, I you know, you kind of get the same questions over. You know, they they there are a lot of questions that that get repeated. But anyway, what is your favorite? And least favorite revolver cartridges and we've talked a lot about revolver cartridges and to not cover old ground I will say I'll go with the least favorite the two least favorites first the first least favorite is 44 special and why is 44 special a least favorite when everybody talks about what a wonderful cartridge it is okay here's my here's my deal on it and i have a smith and wesson 624 which was the when it came out was the going to be the ultimate kind of cool guy gun because it was 44 special and skeeter Skelton, the great writer had endorsed it and he kind of told smith and wesson what it needed to be It needed to be six and a half inch barrel and needed to be stainless steel and all the rest of it the only thing wrong with 44 special is that it's not 44 magnum and go out and try to find 44 special ammo today and you will find that that is very difficult if not impossible because there's not a lot of call for it however if the gun had been a 44 magnum you can find 44 magnum ammunition the other problem with a 44 special handgun is that some of the heavier 44 caliber bullets which were you know in truth designed for the 44 magnum cannot be used in the 44 special you simply cannot drive them fast enough to get them to stabilize so even if you wanted to load a 300 grain bullet in a 44 special there's just not enough punch to put it out there and have it be accurate or effective so you wind up not using that so you're stuck with the 240 grain bullet essentially you know you you could go lighter but you're stuck with the 240 that that just weight goes you know game over You're you're done that's it Um, it's a pain Um, if it were 44 Magnum it would be much more interchange much easier to get much more interchangeable and you could you know used to be able to find you know reduced 44 magnum loads which would make a lot more sense so 44 special while it is cool and while people who have them love them and and all these other great things 44 special in my opinion is been pretty much a disappointment it's it's okay there's nothing wrong with it but it just doesn't have the versatility you know face it you know the magnum cartridge is just a little bit longer you're going to get great accuracy firing 44 specials in a 44 magnum and so why limit yourself so it's a lot better i've even been tempted cuz i'm pretty sure i could get away with it i've even been tempted to have a gunsmith just 44 magnum ream out the chambers of this gun and that way you know i could use whatever i want in it but I haven't done that because really that's not really the right thing to do so doesn't get done Uh, another least favorite and this rankles some people but 45 colt is not a big favorite of mine um 45 colt is not a big favorite of mine because it's just not as accurate as i would like it's it's one of those cartridges, it's really hampered because it's, it goes back to 1873, and it was a black powder cartridge that, while it made the transition to smokeless, it did not make a great transition to smokeless, and, and here's where I'll tell you why. The case capacity is cavernous in that thing, it's cavernous. It'll hold 28 grains or 30 grains of black powder, okay? Which is a lot. That's a lot. Uh, When you're talking about six or seven grains of smokeless, there's a lot of empty volume in the case. And, you know, I, I know some people have actually used, and without monkeying with, you don't want to monkey with the pressures by using fillers and things. Some people have done that. Most people just load it and, and go. Um, it it really was an obsolescent cartridge when smokeless powder came out. And I'll be honest with you, that's one of the reasons I like 45 auto rims so much better. The guns are a little bit lighter. They have shorter cylinders. Um, It has the case capacity you need to put the bullet out there now maybe you could argue 45 Schofield would be a better a better choice than the 45 Colt you know you can go back and forth on that I don't know that those between those two it makes all that much of a difference but the 45 Colt it just has never given me the accuracy that I really want 45 ACP and 45 auto rim Seem to come in ahead of it. So it's not a real favorite of mine. Now I have 45 Colt guns. I've got two of them. Yeah, two of them. Uh, One is a Smith & Wesson 25, which I really like. I mean, I really like that gun. But I think my Smith & Wesson Model 29 is more accurate. I just think it is. And I also have a convertible Ruger, which, you guessed it, I shoot mostly with the 45 ACP cylinder, so you got it. <laughs> the other cylinder sits in the safe most of the time. So there you go. Uh, 45. Now, another one that's not a huge favorite of mine, and this really will rankle some people, is um, 357. Uh, while I like it, and while I think it has some great attributes, got kind of sharp recoil and a sharp report i really don't care for those so those would be the ones um yes you know i mean there are some absolute dogs out there you could say well hey how could your least favorite revolver cartridge not be you know 38 smith and wesson and to, or <laughs> eight millimeter Nagant revolver how could those not be on the worst list well i'm putting the ones of that are more common um face it anything in 38 Smith and Wesson is curio and relic and they're just fun to play with under no circumstances would I ever want a defensive handgun in 38 Smith and Wesson you know I just wouldn't want it I'm not talking 38 special now I'm talking 38 Smith and Wesson um, it's, I would never want one <laughs> if somebody issued yeah yeah if somebody issued that to me I'd, I'd probably beat him on the head with it because that's probably the most dangerous way that gun's used so anyway um yes those are dogs there are some 32 caliber dogs out there you know older cartridges 30 3220 is is a dog um i have one in the only 3220 i have is a vintage 73 winchester and it's perfect for that it's perfect for that but yeah you would not uh you would not want to go up against the Capone mob with a 3220 revolver, I'll tell you that, straight up. So, yeah, there are some other ones that are out there, but those are, those are like older cartridges that we just keep around because there are some very cool vintage guns uh, that are still around that were chambered for them. So that's it. Okay, here's my next question. I just bought a basic M4 style AR. What should I upgrade or add? Uh, that's a very easy question. Unless you are completely dedicated to iron sights, um, I would take the top handle off and I would get an optical sight of your choosing. Um, I think the EOTech is an excellent sight. Um, there are some red dot sights that are fine. You know, just what whatever you want to get in the market. I hate, I hate getting all granular about well i like the hollow sun better than the aim point no we're not going to play that game there's red dots there's holographic sights and there's um low power variable optics depending on what you're using that rifle for uh one of those will work uh so um you know i can understand since i do have that little patch of ground out in the country LPVO could be a good thing to have because you know if you're out there and and I'm not talking about you know you're you're fighting off hordes of zombies but um, you're using it for critter control and a few other things LPVO could be a a good option Um, you know again I I prefer the EOTech old-school so there you go that's just the way that is but you can find a th- one of those three optics, one of those three classes of optics, will will do you fine, and it depends on what attribute you want, and it depends on how much money you want to spend. So that's what I would uh, that's what I would go with. The reason I say an optic is because other people will disagree. Some people will say the first thing you should upgrade is the trigger, and some some hammerheads will say and we'll start with this one first they'll say oh you should, uh, you should go ahead and uh, upgrade the barrel and get get a much more accurate barrel okay that's fine if you're building a target rifle or a precision rifle or you're doing something strange for your basic M4 style rifle which is going to be used for defense, critter control general shooting um, they come with barrels that are good enough yes there are better barrels on the market but anybody who tells you the first thing to replace is the barrel um, you should actually replace the barrel, take the old barrel, and strike them about the head and shoulders for being dumb. I mean, that's what you should do. The thing, the two things that are most important, and I kind of covered the trigger last podcast. Um, I'll, I'll go with the trigger next. Okay. When the adrenaline's flowing, I can't tell a good trigger from a bad one on an AR. I just can't. I can't. Um, The last thing I'm I'm thinking about, I'm lining up my sights and I'm squeezing the trigger. Uh, I realize there might be some gain um, with a a really super world-class trigger, but sometimes a super world-class trigger or a fancy aftermarket trigger might not have the durability or reliability of the GI unit that I use in my ARs because I want them. Number one, I don't want to have to transition from AR to AR. I want them all to basically feel the same. So I use the GI trigger. A lot of people think it's crappy, but you know, when the adrenaline's flowing, I don't feel it. I just don't feel it. So that, that's why it's not that important to me. Now, if I were trying to shoot the tightest possible group, yes I would realize if I'm trying to shoot in high-power competition I would realize that I need a better trigger okay but the most important thing is me seeing the target and when I was in the army we used to say if you can hit it you can destroy it if you can see it you can hit it you cannot destroy what you cannot see so seeing is very very important and a good optic will help you do that and uh, depending on the amount of money that you want to spend um, you, you can get an optic. Now what does the optic do for you? In some cases, not all, but in the cases of LPVOs or fixed sight optics um, you know you can you can magnify the target. In cases of a red dot or an EOTech style holographic sight Uh, you're really gonna have it is as one power but you can get a a three power, what do they call those things? It's a little monocular that flips over you know whatever that is I forget the word for it right now but you can get one of those they flip on and then they flip out of the way but what that does for you all those sights do for you is they put your target and your reticle in one sighting plane so you don't have to focus on the front sight and have a slightly blurry rear sight and a slightly blurry target Um, everything should be crisp and you can look at it and that helps with target identification that actually helps with shooter confidence believe it or not Um, usually people will think that I'll I'll shoot better if I have that and in some cases that's true in some cases that's true especially if you're shooting at farther range Uh, up close I find them a detriment um, unless it's the holograph or the unmagnified holographic sight or the unmagnified red dot I, I find that Scopes up close are cumbersome and you know harder to use if, if they have uh, two, three, or four power. But be that as it may, the thing to, to the first thing to do is to put on an optic if you want to improve that rifle. That's what you do. Um, now you can be, and I have old school rifles that have iron sights you can do very very good work with iron sights but if you want to upgrade something i would put the uh... uh i would put the optic on it but again i say that as a guy who does not feel particularly disadvantaged with iron sights i mean to me iron sights are the basic the iron sights are the the baseline that you have to be familiar with because as we know um, Mechanical and electronic things can break and go out of order, but if you still have that same basic sight, um, I don't know if they still do it or not, but it used to be, it used to be on the, even the M1 Abrams tank at the very front of the barrel, they had this plexiglass thing with a cross on it that they would use for degraded gunnery and what that meant was if the integrated sight unit and all this other crud wasn't working you would flip that baby up and you could sight down the barrel and at least it it, you know comparatively close range for a tank uh out out to probably a thousand yards uh you could hit something you could hit an enemy tank they called it degraded gunnery i believe and uh I don't know if there was a rear sight for that too. I imagine there was, but I remember first time I ever saw it, I said, what's that? What is that thing? Because I was an infantryman, so I I didn't know very much about tanks. So I went to a friend of mine who was a tanker. I said, hey, what is that thing? What's that? And he explained it. Hey, you know, everything else goes bad. We've got this. I said, you've got iron sights for a tank. And he goes, yes, effectively, that's what we have. So if it's good enough for a tank, it's good enough for you. It's good enough for me. It's good enough for everybody um you can do good work with it but i would uh replace the optic i would i should say upgrade to an optic if if i really wanted to uh, do something okay (laughs) can i put an optic on my carry handle ar with success the answer to that is yes yes you can actually um here's what you cannot do very well um most of the handle mounts for an AR are crap. A lot of them were made of carbon fiber. Some of them are probably 3D printed now out of the, the, the goofy plastic they use for that stuff. Um, some were aluminum, um, and they all fit through that hole in the top of the carrying handle, okay? Um, and, and they usually had like a weaver or a Picatinny rail, and then you'd put on the, the rings and whatever optic. You know it usually was a conventional kind of scope. Um, That never worked for me in the years before flat top ARs. I tried that a couple different ways and it never worked. Um, The scope is too far above the the bore axis. It doesn't have a lot of adjustability. I mean there's just a lot of problems with a conventional scope on on an AR handle. as things like the ACOG came in that became a lot less of a problem and in fact I've got an A2 clone that's got an ACOG on it and you know the people who don't know go oh that's too far above the bore that's a little little little." but what they don't realize is hey it fits it has an integral mount that fits right into the handle locks on the bottom tightens up and locks on the bottom and when you're shooting prone it's almost the perfect height actually uh... so it goes out real well now if you're shooting off hand you, you do you do have to bring it down a little bit so your your stock weld is a little bit lower on your chin but not that bad it's really only about an inch uh... difference so it's a uh... A pretty good pretty good deal actually the ACOG on the um, and it has plenty of adjustability beautiful crisp sight so the ACOG on a handled AR is fine the other one that's really good, depending on the quality of the scope, and actually we've talked about this Barska versus the Brownells versus the original Colts, the little Colt 3 and 4 power style scopes on an A1, they work well. They, they work fine for me. I mean, I like them. Uh, are they as good as an ACOG? No, they're <laughs> they're not. They're not even close as good as an ACOG when it comes to crispness and adjustability and all those other great things that the ACOG does but they're passable and they they do well and uh, kind of a cool thing which i don't really use but you actually they do have kind of a see-through hole where you can still use the iron sights you don't see much around the site but but you could use it in a pinch if you had to so it's not bad i mean it's definitely dated it's definitely not probably what you want to parachute into syria or ukraine with but it is it is usable it is not bad it is not a bad solution at all our friend of the podcast has a couple of these types of deals and they shoot quite well they shoot quite well and i'm very impressed with mine too so it's not just like i have the single you know i'm just talking from my own narrow band of experience everyone i've seen seems to shoot pretty well um You know, again, I'd love to see the Brownell scope go head-to-head with the Barisca and see what happens. I have a very funny feeling how that's going to turn out. (laughs) So, there we are. Okay. Next question. Was the Johnson M1941 better or at least as good as the M1 Grand? No, it was not. That's... It was a... It was it was a diversion. It was it was a distraction is what it was. Um it was not a bad it was not malintended or anything, but the fact of the matter is Um You know you know what it's like? It's like saying was Wally Pip as good a for was he the as good a first baseman as Lou Gehrig? And the answer is, well, no, he was not. You know, it was, he was just another first baseman that they kind of, you know, had on the bench. So I would sit there and, and tell you it was commendable because it was a reliable semi-automatic 30-06, out but it loaded through the side with the Springfield stripper clips. I mean, it, it was just, it wasn't, face it, it wasn't going to work. They tested it and said, well, this thing has superior accuracy to the Garand, which I'm calling bullshit on that for two reasons. Number one, it had a thin barrel on it. So when that thing heated up, that had to have twisted or or had some sort of distortion when it heated up. So it had a, a thin, the Johnson had a thin barrel on it compared to the Garand. And the other thing is the sights on it were just like Springfield sights and there's no way that those sights were as competitive accuracy-wise with the Garand, you know. Face it, to make the Garand a match rifle, most of the time they just had to, you know, add the national match uh, rear sight aperture, you know. I mean, face it, 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 the Garand sights are excellent. They were so good that they kept them on the M14. They were so good they even sort of copied them for the Mini-14. And they're so good that, you know, you can you can still shoot in high power today, Um, if you're shooting in the open sight kind of category and all that you could you could you could still do some work with it it isn't perfect but it'll work so no way the m1941 johnson was anything that we would have wanted the marines let me see if i remember right they there was some bunch that were made for the dutch that because the dutch wound up becoming a part of the german occupation they didn't want to buy anymore So the Marines got them. I think they gave them to the paramarines or something. And, you know, they they used them a little bit, and and they were were okay. But, you know, we already had the production and the bugs worked out of the Garand. So those things, in 1942, Garands, even in 1941, Garands were just, you know, they were coming off the assembly line like crazy. So there was no way that Johnson was ever going to, you know, there's no way it was ever going to displace the Grand because it hadn't been sufficiently developed or debugged. Now, here's one. <laughs> this one of IP. Is it pronounced M1 Garand or M1 Garand? And, you know, frankly, I could care less. Um, it's always been called the Grand as far as I know. Uh, I realize that John C. Garand probably pronounced his last name, John C. Garand. I don't care. To me, that's, if people who argue about that have, you know, been in their mom's basement too long, you know, I mean, it's just not worth it. We, we've called it the Garand. The actual true nomenclature is U.S. Rifle M1, and most of the time I call it an M1 rifle. Um, I don't really care for the term Garand uh, simply because the, all the official nomenclature, none of it calls it a Garand they just call it the M1 rifle. So um, that's kind of how that all shakes out. So it's really, if you want to be correct, it's not Garand versus Garand it's M1 rifle and uh, a lot of these guys who are civilian content creators don't get that because they don't understand there is actually an official military name a lot of things for a lot of things and uh, you know you have to be you have to read the manuals to kind of know what those are and they would be surprised things they call cocking handles are not called cocking handles and on and on and on so that is the important thing to know is that there's an official military name for something and for the Rifle that's commonly called a Garand or Garand. Um, the official military designation is U.S. Rifle M1, and M1 rifle is how it's referred to in text. Okay, what equipment do you use for podcasting? Oh, that's great. That's a great. <laughs> that is a great question okay I'll start with my computer I have probably a decade-old laptop computer made by I don't know this must be an HP yeah I think it's an HP Uh, if it wasn't for a lot of adware malware and spyware I don't think this thing would function I don't think the basic operating system would function without all the uh, adware and spyware (laughs) that's in it (laughs) so uh, I have that I use um, oh. What is this? Audacity as the program to create the podcast on. And of course, I use Podbean. And uh, while we were moving offices at work, I found a really good... I used to use a really cheap, um, like a $10 microphone that I bought at Walmart when I started out. But I've since upgraded because when we were moving offices, uh, there were these headphones-microphone combinations that um, we had bought... But then they found they couldn't use them. There was a problem with using them. as They needed a push to talk feature and a mute feature, which these things didn't have. So they were throwing these in the garbage, and I rescued one. And uh, so that's how I have my nice headphones and speaker, is I salvaged it from the trash. So you can't get any more high speed than that, you know. Um, I look upon it as recycling. <laughs> so there you go um that is actually what I use and uh, to be blunt I don't use I probably don't use the audacity program very well I just know enough to be able to make this I really need to be able to get other guests and things on here and there's ways I can do that except my phone is kind of a cheapo phone too so I might have to upgrade that, but if I ever get a really good phone, there's there's features where you can have like conference calls and recorded and all that kind of good stuff. So uh, that would be that would be super cool to do. But yes, this is a low budget low budget operation, um, and that's just the way that is. But anyway, that is it for this edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is and uh remember you can always put questions on podbean in the comment section or email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com that is kbmakel at aol.com and this closes the 145th episode of the podcast and until next time this is old school guns out